Greg is at a family reunion up in, in Denver. Uh, thank you. I was, uh, lead, had the, the awesome privilege to lead this congregation for 17 years, and, um, and then Greg has done a remarkable job in the, in the three years since I retired, and I've just been blessed to be under his teaching. He's done such a tremendous job. Lynn and I are moving to Omaha, Nebraska. And our son and daughter-in-law and our three grandchildren are there. Uh, our daughter, Julia, is also pregnant now in California. And so she'll have a baby boy in December. So our family is growing and we're ready to start spending some time with them. So as much as we're going to hate leaving here, we're excited about where we're going and what lies ahead for us. Living here in Gunnison area, Crested Butte, before that, we have met some of the greatest people to ever populate the face of this earth. And uh, so we, we feel so blessed to have had an opportunity to know all of you and see all of you who come through this beautiful valley. All right, well, uh, in the time since I, it's been quite a while since I had a chance to speak, so we've had a few vacations since then, and usually uh, those of you who have been around me long enough uh, and have witnessed our experiences, you always want us to go on vacation because they always come back with a story. Uh, I am kind of the Clark Griswold the, of, the, um, of the vacationers. So, Linda was uh, finishing, is finished as, uh, at the school. So we got out of here a little bit early to shorten her year. In April, we made a trip down to Cozumel, Mexico. And we are economy travelers. We like to put things in a backpack and take a little carry-on on wheels and put that up above, and we don't have to pay the extra baggage fees. And so this is what we did. We were on this plane. We were headed down to Cozumel. And we arrived down there, and I put the backpack on, and Linda had a jacket, and she shoved it into the backpack, and I zipped it up and gathered up our things, and we're exiting the airplane. And in Cozumel, you don't go down a jetway, you go down steps uh, when you exit the door because, you know, the weather's beautiful, so you got on this little platform. So as I'm just about to exit the door of the plane, Linda says, the backpack is coming, is coming undone. The zipper is coming apart. And so... Uh, you know, there's people behind us, and you have this consciousness of everyone, you know, coming behind you, and so I'm thinking that maybe she can just, while I'm moving, zip it up. So I'm moving, and she's saying, you've got to stop, you've got to stop, I've got to, we've got to close, it's coming undone, and the moment I step out of the doorway of the jet onto this little platform before we descend the steps, the backpack totally comes undone. And things start spilling out. And they don't spill out on the platform. <laughs> they spill out over the railing. And I was, you know, one of those clever packers who decided that you put your plastic quart-sized bag inside your backpack because it's a lot easier to get in and out. But unfortunately, I guess I'm challenged because I didn't zip the Ziploc very well. So out comes the contents of the quart-sized plastic bag, the three-and-a-half-ounce bottle of shaving cream, the three-and-a-half-ounce bottle of, 
of uh, contact solution, the three and a half ounce bottle of lotion, you know what I'm saying. And all of it goes tumbling over the railing and onto the tarmac. Well, as I'm turning around and, and this embarrassment is happening, and of course there's people behind me, everybody that is in front of me has now descended the steps and walked out. And I turn and I run into my suitcase that's behind me, and the suitcase starts slinky down the steps all the way down to the bottom. So the whole thing is just this fiasco. And I am just want to go hide under a rock. And so I'm, I'm with as much dignity as I have left, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, here comes the senior citizen on his vacation to Mexico with his much younger wife. That's a shout-out to Linda. So... Um, <laughs> I'm going down, and I want to turn and gather my thing, but they're starting to hand me, all these young people are down there, you know, they're starting to hand me these, my jacket, and, and Linda's jacket, and, and my bottle of, uh, you know, contact solution, and I think in the midst of all of this, I lost my lip balm somewhere, and I couldn't go around, and the last thing someone did with as much dignity as possible, he handed me a three and a half, half ounce bottle of, of, I guess, my shaving cream or something. It was just like he slipped it to me, you know? And I'm gathering up. And the, next, and the next thing I think is, oh, at least nobody knows me here. And I look up, and guess what? Paula Swenson is looking right at me. Now, Paula Swenson was a longtime Gunnison County commissioner who happened to also be on the same flight to Mexico to meet up with some girlfriends, and she's got this big grin on her face. So, you know, that embarrassing moment was, was pretty severe, but yet, you know, those things have happened to me before. So I have a lot of experience with those things happening. It's just that I hadn't anticipated that. <clears throat> embarrassment is one of those emotions that I think God has, has put in us, and we can blame Adam and Eve for that. Uh, and so, as, as you know, it's, it's, uh, they, they sin, they... They ate the apple. They disappeared in the Garden of Eden because they just wanted to escape and hide. It's kind of like this fictitious ad that appeared in a, that someone wrote up. It's a fictitious ad that someone wrote up, and they said, uh, "Lost, three-legged dog, blind in one eye, missing its right ear, broken tail, recently castrated, and goes by the name Lucky." And um, I think Lucky just at that point wanted to just say, that's it, I'm out of here. I'm escaping, I'm leaving. And so the emotion of, of embarrassment is one that, that hits us significantly and, and attacks our spirit. But deeper than embarrassment is the emotion of humiliation and the feeling of shame. But we have the same reaction to those emotions as we do to those momentary uh, experiences of being embarrassed. We've all, we've all been there. We've all experienced that. Adam and Eve, who had sinned from God, escaped themselves in the Garden of Eden because they were ashamed and they wanted to go hide and they were having these feelings of being embarrassed. Now, in the scripture in Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, we have a record of how God works in our lives. And 
and how the Bible, the Word of God, can open up our souls and our spirits to Him. It re, it's a revealer of ourselves. And so it says here that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And we'll go on to 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So nothing escapes God's vision. And nothing escapes his ability to see our lives into our hearts, into our spirits, into who we are, into the people that we are. And he understands and knows when we feel humiliation and embarrassment and have that feeling of wanting to just escape and get away. And he knows that the feelings of shame are the feelings of being dirty, of, of being undesirable, of being disgusting. And, and a person is just a person who wants to escape. In addition to that, not only do we want to escape from ourselves, we want to escape from others. Because others are viewing our lives and we feel such shame and such embarrassment and such, such failure in, in this. Embarrassment is also a feeling of loneliness. It's a feeling of isolation. And with that comes this feeling of being stupid and self-loathing and, and I hate myself and and why would anyone want to hang out with me? And, and, and just constantly sets us apart and divides us out from everyone else socially and makes us feel so unworthy and, and so unapproachable. And nobody wants to know somebody like me because I'm such a screw-up. I've made too many mistakes in my life. And so we are set aside, we are pummeled by Satan. He loves to get a hold of us that way and give us all these emotions and enhance them more than they should be enhanced. And it's all of this that comes up inside of us, that wells up inside of us, that really, really is damaging and hurtful to us. Now, if you think about the scripture here, that God does see all of who we are, Let's go on to the rest of this passage where it reveals to us something about who Jesus is and how he understands these things about our lives. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Going through our things at the house, getting ready to move, Linda came across an article that she had kept one time 
from, she's passed on now, but a woman named Irma Bombeck uh, was a delightful writer, and she wrote articles for Good Housekeeping. And Irma told this story that I'm going to read for you now. For the first four or five years after I had children, I considered motherhood a temporary condition, not a calling. It was a time of my life set aside for exhaustion and long hours. It would pass. Then, one afternoon, with three kids in tow, I came out of the supermarket pushing a cart with four wheels that went in opposite directions. When my toddler son got away from me, just, avoid, just outside the door, and ran toward a machine holding bubble gum in a glass dome. And in a voice that shattered glass, he shouted, Gimme, gimme! And I told him I would give me him what for if he didn't stop shouting and get in the car. You ever been embarrassed by your children? Oh, yeah. Uh, as I physically tried to pry his body from around the bubblegum machine, he pulled the entire thing over. The glass and the balls of bubblegum went all over the parking lot. We had now attracted a sizable crowd. I told him he would never, uh, he would never see another cartoon as long as he lived. And if he didn't control his temper, he was going to be making license plates for the state. <laughs> he tried to stifle his sobs as he looked around at the staring crowd. Then he did something that I was to remember the rest of my life. In his helpless quest for comfort, he turned to the only one he trusted his emotions with, me. He threw his arms around my knees and held on for dear life. You can trust Jesus with your emotions. With everything that is in you, you can trust him and turn to him. He is not there to condemn you or to criticize you or to speak badly of you. He is there for you. He went to the Garden of Eden looking for Adam and Eve because he wanted to express that very sentiment to them. And it wasn't to judge or condemn them, but to draw them out and bring them back to himself. Whatever has gone on in anyone's life, and I know many of us have experienced this in our own lives before. Jesus is the one who comes to comfort us. He comes to protect us. He comes to heal us. He comes to say, I will never leave you or forsake you. He comes to tell us he will always be there for us. And whatever goes on in our lives, good or bad, he's there for us. And we can always turn to him with whatever things we're going through. And that's what he wants from us. And yet at the same time, our very instinct is to do the same thing we do with people, and that is to turn away from him and hide. Some of us are still hiding in the garden like Adam and Eve, and God is speaking and reaching out to you and saying, just come to me. Turn towards me. That's why I came. I am here for you. 
He lived around these people when he was here on the face of the earth, didn't he? Now, the Pharisees had lost all sense of humor, as far as I'm concerned. The only sense of humor they had, in my mind, the only time they laughed was to laugh derisively at people, to, to make fun of people. And the ones that they made fun of were the very ones that Jesus was most loving towards. They were the outcasts. They were the lepers. They were the blind. They were the sinful. They were the adulterers. And that was the other group of people. And they were walking around just like Adam and Eve did in that garden. They were walking with shame every day in their lives. In fact, a leper had to cry out, untouchable, unclean, unclean, just to warn people of their presence so that people could stay away from them. So here is, here is Jesus. That's why he got so upset with the Pharisees, because of their pride and their arrogance and the perfectionism and the way in which they derisively treated other people and looked down upon them. And they didn't get it. And then... And then Jesus went through his humiliation. A person who knew no son. It was ordained that this was to happen, wasn't it? He was arrested. He was hauled off, put on public display, put on trial. He was, he was condemned. He was whipped. He was spit on. He was stripped naked. He was jeered at. He was hung on a cross to die. And he didn't do that just because he deserved that. No, he didn't deserve that. He did that because he did it for us. He did it to come to relate to us, to say to us, I too understand what it's like to be shamed and embarrassed and outcast and, and be, be criticized and, and condemned and rejected by humanity. And so he did that for us. And because of that, he's able to handle whatever it is we have that we want to bring to him because he loves us so much. We were in a situation similar to this, Lynn and I, when we were living in the house that the church owned up here on um, East Georgia Street that the county bought. And... uh, I've told the story about this girl who showed up randomly in the middle of the night at our house. We lived and had like three stories. We had an attic, we had a second story, and we had a first story. We had a basement. It was a big house. So one night, I mean, it was, it was on, the, on the main drag going between downtown and the college or the university now. And so one night I go get up to go to the bathroom. It's about three in the morning. And I go in, and I come back out, and I look into our son Josh's room, who was a high school student at that time. Our daughter had graduated by then. And I, I knew Josh slept up in the attic, but there was somebody sleeping in his bed. So I walked into the bedroom, and I looked, and there were these braids of a blonde girl who was sleeping very soundly in his bed. And uh, she, it was, a, it was a surprise to me that we had this strange person in our, in our house. 
So <clears throat> I went up the steps to the attic, and I said, Josh was probably 17. I said, Josh, did you have a girl spend the night? He goes, no, Dad. <laughs> so Linda and I get up about 6 o'clock, and I tell Linda, I said, Goldilocks is sleeping <laughs> in the next room. She said, what do you mean? I said, we've got a girl in here, and she somehow or another found her way to our house, and she's sleeping. We don't lock our door. We didn't lock our door. And so we walked in there, and we gently woke her up, and she had turned up and looked at us, and I can still see the bright-eyed look on her face when she was looking at the two of us. And she said, oh my goodness, where am I? We said, well, you have ended up in the home of the pastor of the community church and his wife. And she goes, oh my gosh, I am so embarrassed. She went to get out of bed, and uh, she was only in her underwear and had a t-shirt on. She didn't know where her jeans were. She didn't know where her shoes were. And so Lynn and I, we got a blanket, we put her in the blanket, we gave her some flip-flops or something to put on her feet, and we took her to her apartment over by the high school. And, uh, and so we, uh, we went home. And then we found in another room of our house her jeans, her shoes, and those things. So we gathered those up, and we wrote a little note, and we didn't know her name or anything about her, and we said, Dear Goldilocks, we have found your items, and here they are. And so then, again, moving out, I never knew that I had, I forgot that I had gotten this, but I kept it. She wrote us a note and returned the things that we had given to her. But doesn't this just sound like a great college experience, I mean a student? So typical, right? Here was the other thought that Linda had, because she's such a prayer warrior. She said, somebody is praying for this girl, that she would end up, of all the places she could be, in our house. Right? So this is what she wrote. And this is the way we should all act. I mean, this is beautiful. Dear Mr. and Mrs. Morehouse, I sincerely apologize about last Wednesday. That night was my 21st birthday, and I definitely took it to an unhealthy level at the bars. Here are your things. Thank you sincerely. And here, here but I'm sorry to say that my boyfriend's eight-month-old puppy chewed on one shoe. I can fully repay you for that. Sorry again. And then she signed it with her name. Underneath, she wrote in quotes, Goldilocks, and she left a phone number. She was completely transparent about her experience with us. Made no excuses, didn't blame anyone, and was willing to come back with this and just come clean. She could have just dropped her stuff off and snuck away without a note. But here's the great P.S. on the bottom, too. Our phone line is crossed with the Latter-day Saints Church right now. So it would be best if you call after 5 o'clock. <laughs> oh, my word. 
So if you hang around Gunnison long enough, you can have some great experiences. This message that he's given us in this passage is fabulous to me, especially the last verse. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. We can confidently come to God, not, not, just, on our, not just with fear and trepidation and embarrassment and with red faces and our eyes half closed. Oh, 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 and prostrate. It says, please come to him with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, I know that this is not the last time I'm going to mess up. How about you? It happens all the time. Whether it's a very small piece of embarrassment or something more significant in our lives that we have done that we deserve shame and punishment for, but that God has an unlimited amount of mercy and grace for each and every one of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the one that we can run to in any and all circumstances that occur in our lives. I first want to pray for any person here today who is still hiding out in the garden because they fear such, feel such fear and shame and embarrassment and ostracization and, and such de so defeated in failures that, that they have not been able to turn and come completely and turn towards you. You wait for them with open arms, welcoming them with your full, full measure of grace and mercy. And for those of us who may have allowed a bit of criticism and cynicism and uh, an ability because of our own sense of self-righteousness to begin mocking others, scorning others, laughing at others, making a joke of others, may we be healed, Lord, of that venom and that sickness in our spirits and return to that gracious disposition that you want us to have because we too have screwed up ourselves. And Lord, for the rest of us who are here that are just grateful to have experienced this mercy and grace that you provide for us, we give you our full throated at gratitude for being there for us when we didn't feel like anybody else was. When we needed you, God, you were there for us to heal us, free us, forgive us, transform us, and we are so grateful. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a closing hymn, Victory in Jesus, today. We're going to stand and sing this together. Mm -hmm.